Hello and welcome to the ST Weekly channel on YouTube. I'm your friend Brad, and this is the home of the Here's the Pitch podcast. Everyone has a pitch, including musicians, entertainers, comedians. And today we've got Craig Gass. He'll be in St. Louis next weekend, uh, May 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. It's Craig Gass, Funny Bone. Hello, Craig. Do I get a free pasta when I get to St. Louis? Is that what happens? The book came out, you, you started a podcast, uh, you're working with Barstool Sports. You know, the media just p- portrays this thing out there that, like, everybody is offended. You're taping your first comedy album. That's going to be a big thrill for you. It is. Uh, I figured St. Louis, uh, my sensibilities are very close to St. Louis. How was this interview? You've done a million of them today throughout. Were you okay with this? Are we? Do we have yeah. fun? Do we, was this there is enough? great. We you have... did a great job. Great interview. Absolutely. Yeah, just keep checking back at BillyMiraAndTheHitmen.com. Not only do comedians and entertainers have a pitch, but athletes, sports broadcasters, and sports entertainers also come here to pitch. You are that voice for so many fans, love you or hate you. It's so different. It's so different, Brad, on TV and being the network guy than being the team guy. Because there's Bo Jackson, there's you, there's Dion. Well, I mean, for Dion, it was it was a lot different. He was always under the spotlight, even at Florida State. Woo! All right. Woo! Oh, where did that come from? When did you start doing that? Um, the first time I heard the record, Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. Are you still lifting? It looks like you're a little scrawny these days. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much all I've been doing in quarantine, playing basketball much ways. I have not. I don't know if you can tell. Yeah, I can see your man babe right there. Don't look at my boob. Anyone who has a pitch, I'm interested in hearing from, and that's what this channel is. It's the Here's the Pitch podcast on the ST Weekly channel here on YouTube. ST Weekly used to be Sports Talk Weekly. You can go back and look at some of my old interviews from a TV show called Sports Talk Weekly, but now it's Showbiz Talk Weekly, Howard Stern Talk Weekly. I am doing interviews every week right here, and I hope you subscribe and tell your friends. Welcome to this edition of Here's the Pitch. It is sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations. STLMasses.com is their website. I'm your friend Brad. And today, very excited. I'm always excited when we get a chance to talk to stand-up comedians. Today, he's sitting down, but that doesn't matter. That is Greg Fitzsimmons. I'm very excited to see you on the other side of this Zoom call. Thank you, Greg. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're in St. Louis? That is home base, yes. Okay, yeah, that's where my, my podcast gets produced by a great company called Midcoast Media out of, uh, out of uh, St. Louis. It's Beth Hoops, and um, do you know Chris Denman? I feel like I know that name a little bit, maybe. Okay. Yeah, he does a radio show in town. Okay, I will not, how do I not know that? I'm, I do a podcast, and I don't know that there's a podcast company that's doing your show. Unbelievable. You're, so you do, you've done 900 plus podcasts I was looking at. Fit, it's Fitzdog Radio. Yeah, right? Wow. Well, well, they, well you, I don't know if you're just, if that, who's labeling them, but you're at number 911 with your last one that just came out. Whoa. 911. Well, I did, I started like 12 years ago. That's a long time. That's a I'm lot ahead of, of the boom. And I was doing, I did two a week for a lot of years. And then I, I started, and then I launched a couple other ones, Sunday Papers and Childish. So. Uh, I'm doing three now, but I'm only doing one episode of Fitzdog Radio every week instead of two. 
Why all the podcasts? What, what, how much do you have to say? Most people don't have that enough to say. You've got three podcasts a week. I did see Sunday Papers a little bit. I understand. So probably one's an interview on, one is you and a buddy talking, and I didn't really see Childish. Yeah, yeah Childish is me and Allison Rosen. She used to be um, Adam Carolla's sidekick for years. And she's got a couple babies. I've got a couple uh, teenagers. And so it's kind of me trying to teach her how to parent, and she's not really buying it. Is this like what you you obviously do? You tour still. You do stand up comedy, but is this sort of your thing now? You're kind of trying the Joe Rogan. Well, I mean, you were doing it before Joe. I guess you guys are doing it at the same time. Mark Marin. He was kind of in the two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Is that kind of where you want to go with the, your, your your the rest of your life as you as you move on? Is as, uh, as podcaster slash stand up comedian? You do a lot of writing too, though. You do a lot. Yeah, I do a lot of different stuff. You know, I think it's um, it's important. <laughs> If you want to have a long career, you definitely got to go in a few different directions. And I enjoy them all because they give you options. You know, if you're, if I'm writing, if I'm just writing for TV, then I'm going to get stuck on some shows that I want to be on for longer than I want to be there. And if I'm just doing stand up, I'm going to find myself in at the Green Bay Chuckle Hut in February, fucking miserable. So when you do a few things, it lets you kind of choose which of the things you want to do. And so that's worked out pretty good. You know, and I think the podcast is the thing that, especially now with the Zoom, it's just so easy to get them done and not have to travel anywhere. Um, I could eventually relocate out of Los Angeles and keep doing the podcast. So, yeah, I see myself doing it for a long time. Green Bay Chuckle Hut, is that a real place or is that just made up? It's the figment in the dark side of my imagination. It's it's the club where um, you have to walk to it. It, it's everything. It's every bad thing that's happened in a comedy club in my life, all in one place. I have this vision of it, and it's when it's when my career finally starts to die. It's where I'm working, and uh, I'm making half the money I'm making now. I'm sleeping in a condo instead of a hotel. I'm flying. I'm flying coach. Everything about it is is just miserable. There, there is flying coach is miserable, but it is when you're changing planes to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I was going to say there is one that was uh, original. There used to be across the river here in um, in Illinois, Madison, Illinois, and it was in a strip mall with like a Walmart, a Lowe's, a Little Caesars, and so instead of, we were going to go see the show, but we decided just to eat pizza in the car instead. <laughs> Probably a good call. Yeah, what? there's a lot of comedy in mini malls, though. There is. It's true. The, well, helium. So you played helium, and I and I, I think you did that in Kansas City, right? The helium stand-up comedy. Were you in, at helium, or am I thinking incorrectly here? helium has something to do with booking it gotcha yeah well and then when i was in st louis i did the helium club which uh right did i do helium at st louis i i think so yeah let's hear it yeah speak real high if you did you did you have a little anyway so <laughs> you are did you i mean you tour a lot but did has i mean touring obviously wasn't happening last year is it something that you've been looking forward to getting back out and doing or is it a pain in the ass because people are woke and it's hard to do, to do comedy these days. Um, I think you have to be aware of what you're walking into with each gig. You know, like there's certain, uh, I just posted something on Instagram. I said, this is me playing an alt room in Los Feliz. And it's, a it's a guy dressed up as a purple dinosaur that walks into a kindergarten class and the kids all start crying and running away. And so, 
there's certain gigs you have to know that if you want to do them, um, you may face a lot of those fucking snowflakes. Uh, so I choose, I, I'm trying to still do them because I don't feel like uh, there should ever be a crowd that I can't perform in front of. But for the most part, the clubs that I work at are the people that know me and they come out, so they know what to expect. Well, we'll keep an eye on your website, gregfitzsimmons.com. Again, he's the podcasts, and and uh, you were on Howard 101 for a long time, uh, and that ended at the end of, what, December of 2018. That was a long-running show, though, and, and, and not many people got to hang on through that long during kind of the changeover over there. How did you hang on and what happened at the end? Were you, was it your decision, their decision, everybody's decision? Well, it was, yeah, I was there for 10 years and, you know, they were at the, at the peak, there was programming, you know, there was probably five, six, seven shows a day, different shows all week. And then they started, I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I've, I don't know who does the programming, but one by one, they started dropping shows uh, John Hines fast food show. Um, then the, uh, the guy who, uh, Riley Martin, who, who had a connection with UFOs, he died. So one by one, Jay Thomas died. Uh, so one by one shows were canceled or the people died. And then eventually they just said, you know what? We just want to have only Howard on these two channels. I was the last show on for like a year on the channel. And then they said, we just might as well make it all Howard. So that, that was it. But you know, I'm on great terms with them still. I was going to say, you make me think maybe these people, they were, they were not wanting to pay them. So they maybe may, they just, they didn't want to tell them they've lost a job. So they had to do something kind of, you know, they offed them, the Riley Martins and Jay Thomas. Oh, they killed them. Yeah. There was a guy parked across from my house in a red Chevette for like a year. And, uh, I, I always question if he was a serious agent, but no, I don't think so. You, you, you're very famous on the Stern show because I think it started, I mean, you, did you audition for Jackie's chair or were you just sort of coming in? Because there was, there was a time where comedians were coming in and, but some people called them auditions. Some people just said, no, I'm just sitting in. Were you auditioning? Did you, did you have a a thought that you might be able to sit there or were you just coming in going, I'm having fun being on the show? Yeah, it was uh, a little bit of both because I came in and I had, I had won this HBO had this comedy festival in Aspen every year and I won some trophy. And so they, they, I kind of got on their radar. So they brought me in to do an episode and obviously I was nervous as hell and I didn't know what to expect. And uh, I did it and it went really well. And so Howard started bringing me in on a regular basis. Like I would, I would come in like sometimes three days a week and sometimes once a month. And uh, it went on for a while. And then when Jackie left, they kind of, they kind of started rotating more. They called it the Jackie chair and they started bringing more and more people in, you know, guys like Jeff Ross and Ari Lang, uh, Doug Stanhope, uh, David Tell. And they started kind of looking at us. Nobody ever said this is an audition, but it became, but the press started covering it that way. Like who's going to get it. And it got whittled down to like six of us and then like three of us. And then eventually it was just me and Artie. It was like me against Artie. And there was no comparison. I mean, Artie was the guy for that show. He was, I'm a fucking married guy with two young kids who's sober. And, you know, Artie's coming in on Monday morning talking about how he was had a three-way with hookers in Vegas and stole his money and he's hungover. And, you know, he, he's a master storyteller. And he was so great for that show for so long. 
But then when he got that, Howard said to me, you're welcome on the show anytime you want to come on. And he was true to it. I went on like 50 times. Every, every time I was in New York, I would just email. Uh, uh, um, why am I forgetting his name? Baba, uh, Baba Bowie. Yeah. I would email Baba Bowie and they'd have me in every single time. It was really, it was very nice. It was very welcoming. Do you ever think about what would have happened if, if maybe, let's say, Artie has some sort of weird meltdown during this audition and then you get the job and what that would have... Do you ever think about that? Like what could have, what it would have been like to wake up every morning and be on that show? Or is it, hey, this worked out. I, I, people know who I am now from that show and everything worked out anyway without having to be on it. Um, well, being on it takes you to a whole other level. I mean, you know, it's really, it's really got a very strong cult following. And I don't know. I think it would have overshadowed like Artie is always going to be known as the guy from the Howard Stern show. And I think I've kind of crawled my way to the middle of this business and I've been doing it 30 years, just kind of existing in this really nice space where I make a good living. I get to do what I want creatively and I'm not uh, at anyone's behest. I'm not anyone's guy. And uh, so I've managed to always have some kind of project going on that keeps me out there a little bit to keep to, to be able to draw it comedy clubs but i think it would have been tough to do that job i mean i it's it's a fucking grind you got to get up early in the morning and you got to be on and uh you know i'm sure there's office politics that i was never a part of because i was just in and out as a guest so um, i think i was relieved when i didn't get it but it certainly would have been a huge boost in my career the way you mentioned that now that i think about it it's amazing already pulled off nine years right i mean (laughs) It's, was it nine years? Wow. Yeah, well, at, yeah, 2002 to 2009. My math might be yeah. eight and a half. But either way, yeah. the fact that he really did show up at least the first six years pretty much all the time and then kind of spiraled. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's a workman. You know, I mean, he comes from blue collar stock. So he's like a guy that shows up for work. You know, he may be on heroin, but he shows up. <laughs> and uh, and again, like I, I, that show really needed him at that time because – everybody was getting older and everybody used to go to strip clubs. Like everybody on the Stern show used to live a wildlife and they all got a little bit suburban. And then I think Artie came in and he was this breath of fresh air. What do you, I mean, have any contact with Artie at all? We all, everyone, I ask everyone who joins me. Oh, here. Sure. Yeah. 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 I talked to Artie. How is he? He's hanging in there. You know, he's, uh, he's sober. He's staying busy. Uh, he's starting to go out and do stand up again. He is. Well, now, tell. can you tell us a little bit about when that, where, where would we see him? He's not promoting this. I have no idea. I don't know. Is he, now, is he, but he's healthy, because this, there's this, like, oh, where did he go? He's this one little tweet, and then he's gone. He was doing a podcast, and we lost him. So he's, you're saying he's healthy, you're keeping in touch. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a reporter. I, I have no idea. You know, he's, I think he's doing fine. What about the time you guys did Carnegie Hall and you, you opened for him, right? Was that was that one of your bigger yeah. times to be on stage and, and just, I mean, probably like a rock and roll show, right? Because Artie comes and it's not just comedy. It's every, hey, man, let's go. I mean, was that one of the bigger shows for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the audience, you know, look, as, as Stern's gotten older, the audience has gotten older. So it's not really that circus environment anymore at those live shows. They're like, you know, they're middle-aged guys from Long Island that drove in, and I think they respected that it was Carnegie Hall. I think everybody sort of felt like, wow, this is a big deal, you know. And uh, But I remember Howard walked in. Um, I can't remember whose set it was during it. It might have been mine. 
but he walked in while the uh, while the show was going on, and obviously everyone just stopped and turned, and him and Beth walked down the aisle, and everybody cheered, and he sat down, and then it couldn't have been Art. Maybe it was me. I can't remember, but uh, it, it was... It was a pretty special night, having been somebody that grew up in New York and, you know, went to Carnegie Hall a million times in my life. And, uh, you know, all the famous albums that have come out of there from, you know, Lenny Bruce to George Carlin and Bob Newhart, you know, to, to be on that stage was pretty, even though I wasn't the headliner, it still felt pretty special. You mentioned many times being on the sh- on the show, and then you know no one wants to be in that spotlight and have Howard, but you ask him to write the forward for your book, right? And there was it was kind of it became a bit, it became a, a long standing bit. Was that uh, was that fun to be fodder for Howard? And how how hard was it after asking him to go? Oh shit! I'm, I didn't I didn't realize I was going to have to take this much abuse. Yeah, it was a big ordeal. Um, you know. I think it got played out as a radio bit. It was, uh, I think people enjoyed it. And then of course you get the trolls that, you know, get on social media and start talking shit to you because you're giving Howard a hard time. But, uh, I think it was all in the spirit of a radio bit. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still friends with them and I still, we still text back and forth and yeah. Yeah. The other bit with Andy Dick, right? You had to kind of defend yourself after that conversation with Andy, right? I mean, that had to be because the, he wasn't really excited about what Andy was saying. Right. Right. Tell me a little bit about being a roast and roast. You do a lot of roasts. You did some over there. Um, we talked earlier about not being able to do roast maybe on Comedy Central anymore. I mean, you don't, this, this culture is not allowing people to do that type of comedy, but I think you just did one and just talk about that being part of roast and, and having to, to write quick on your feet. Um, I, I, some of those during the Howard show were really hilarious. You, you, you took, you took Shuley down. That was very, very funny. Way to bring this, this, uh, way to stop at the, I can't do what you did, but it was great. Tell me about that though. Just writing for roast and being part of those. Yeah, I just did one for um, Adam Egan, who's the guy that manages the comedy store. He moved out to Austin to take over um, Joe Rogan's comedy club, which is, you know, I think coming coming soon. And uh, so we all love that guy. And that that is the best roast is when you know the person and you love them and you can do it in that spirit. Because I've done I did one of the Comedy Central roasts. I did the um, who was it? Um, Chevy Chase. And no one liked him. He wasn't friendly. And uh, it was a really negative atmosphere. And the, it was probably the worst roast in history. Um, it's famously a bad roast. And so when it's somebody that you love, like, you know, roasting Andy Dick, who I absolutely love, and, you know, being able to roast Gary and Howard and everybody, that's like, that's a great day. That's when everybody's having fun and you can kind of feel, it's almost emotional. You really feel people loving each other through through uh through insults you know um so uh i I think that people get hurt when it when they don't know each other because they don't know the boundaries and uh so i i think that the there's still getting a pass though i think that the comedy central roasts you know i'm sure there's people that are complaining about them but for the most part comedy central is airing them and they're pretty raw and i think people get the context of it and if anyone has a problem with it, they probably shouldn't be watching roasts. Yeah, exactly. And you you wrote for Ellen, <clears throat> famously, uh, someone who is basically getting canceled by her own crew 
Um, but at that point, tell me a little bit about those days because you sort of knew this coming a long, long time ago that uh, it was not a fun place to work, right? And that pretty much what happened, you decided, I'm just going to not show up. <laughs> I don't want to work here anymore. Tell me about those days working as a writer and a producer for that show and for her. Yeah, I have a whole non-disclosure agreement. I'm really not supposed to talk about it. I, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get sued over it. No worries. Do you have a, a crew of people, like you know, a comedy crew of guys that you kind of lean on, like a David Tell, a Florentine? Who, who are your guys? Like, who do you sort of just kind of banter stuff with, off, and, and kind of have that that type of crew? Is, is, is do you have one of those? Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't call it a crew. I, I kind of do my own thing because I'm married with kids. That's my priority in life, and uh, so I go to the clubs and I'll hang out with. Uh, um, you know, at the store, you hang out with like Joey Diaz and Rogan and, uh, you know, a lot of guys you probably haven't heard of, but that are regular comics there. And then on the phone, I talked to a tell a lot on the phone. I was just in New York last week and, uh, I had dinner with Louie and then me and Natel hung out for a few hours and it just felt great to be like, I feel like I have really, really close comic friends in New York since that's where I started. And, LA I've got friends that I've made over the last 20 years but there's something about those guys you started with that is just more meaningful yeah and it's kind of a special pact right because I, I watch a lot of documentaries about comedians I love the thing on Showtime I'm on the comedy store and and there's that group in the 70s and then the group in the 80s and then the 90s it sort of went away but it felt like it came back and then Adam left as you said um, but there is that just special bond between you guys I, not a lot of people know what it's like to just walk up on stage and have the microphone and a, a light on you for 60 minutes and you got to go. It's like, you can't just walk up there yeah. without anything. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it's, uh, um, there's, I guess it's like if you were in the, in the military on some level, they always talk about how people don't understand unless you've like been to war. And this is like a minuscule, uh, version of that, but it's something about, um, uh, it's the singular experience. And I guess if you've done it, it doesn't matter if you're somebody who's been doing it for four or five years or someone who's done it for 30 years, there's still like a, a brotherhood of it. And, and especially if there's guys at your level and you can talk about the manager of this club and what the crowds are like at this club and, you know, doing radio in this town, this guy sucks or this guy's good. You know, we all, we all talk about that stuff. Who sucks? This besides this, besides here. <laughs> What's that? I said, who sucks? Give us, no, I don't want you to have to <laughs> throw that out there, but yeah, you can right. if, you, if you'd like. You, uh, when, we, we, when we talked, you said you were writing some things. I was just curious what, if you're working on anything you'd be interested to tell us about and writing anything, writing for any shows. Um, you're always busy, so is there anything you're working on that you would like to tell us about that we might be interested in as you're, as you're doing some writing? Yeah, I did a, um, uh, I sold a show to True TV. It's like a comedy game show. And uh, it's it's a show that we sold over Zoom, which I was surprised. I wasn't even going to try to pitch over Zoom because who knows what that's like. But then I sold another show over the summer over Zoom. So you know, I'm just I'm getting pilots going, and those are those are your lottery tickets. You know, every time you sell a pilot, you've got a I don't know what the odds are twenty to one or something of it actually becoming a show on the air. So. Um, that's another part of the equation as far as doing stand up, writing, doing everything is like trying to pitch and, um, pitching is like stand up. You know, you just get in the room and you try to make them laugh 
And once they're laughing, then you sell them the show because they like you and they feel good. So uh, I think it's a huge advantage as a stand-up in pitching shows as opposed to, you know, some writers are brilliant writers, but they, uh, they're kind of nerdy and low energy. And I think they have a hard time, uh, you know, kind of impressing the executives. It's a lot of grinding, isn't it? It just seems like there's never, it's never just things are good. You're always grinding, right? I mean, that's what that is. Inter- grinding. Yeah, you're always grinding. You got to fucking, you know, and there's nobody telling you to do it. There's nobody that is, um, you know, holding you accountable to show up for work. So it's like, I've got this office in Santa Monica. It's five minutes from my house. I come here every day and I roll up my sleeves. I take some Adderall and I try to write. And uh, some days it works and some days it doesn't. But if I was writing on a show, I would have to get it done every day. So it's, it's kind of a weird feeling of never being finished when you're working on your own like this. Like I said, you've done over 900 podcasts, so probably 900 interviews. Any, any one of them stand out more than most for you? Or do you enjoy – has there been a few that you like, oh, man, I really enjoy talking to you know, this guy? And Joey Pants was – Joey Pantalonis was just on. I thought it's interesting hearing him and his daughter talk, but I'm just curious if you have over this time of doing all these shows a kind of a favorite, a few favorites? Um. Well, I got the, you know, there's regulars that I always look forward to having on, you know, Joey Diaz coming on. is just like hit record, ask him two questions and an hour and a half has just gone by and I've been wiping tears from my eyes. You know, he's always great. Um, but I think like maybe I like the old guys. Like I interviewed Brian Wilson from the beach boys one time. That was, that was pretty special. And I was told, and I'm a huge beach boys fan. And so I was told before I got in the room with him, he was doing interviews with some other people and we were all getting a chance to walk in the room and we were all waiting together and walking in the room. We, every person was supposed to have 20 minutes. Most guys were walking out after five because Brian just answers questions. Yes and no. And, and seems like he doesn't want to be there. And so guys were just bailing, but I went in and I had some questions that kind of lit him up. You know, like I I had specific questions and he kind of went like, wow, okay." And we ended up talking for like 45 minutes and uh, and it was tough. It wasn't a smooth interview, but I got some time out of him. And then the other one was Carl Reiner, who I had I had read. He has three memoirs and I'd read all three of them. And so uh, we had just a great time. He was so sharp. He remembered things from like being in the Korean War that like they happened yesterday. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty great. In a couple more minutes, you wrote a book, um, Dear Mrs. Fitzsimmons. It's, it's a longer book. Tell me a little bit about writing a book. And then now the audio book is out. I saw on your website. But that was a few years ago, obviously. But just that that sitting down, writing that and tell us a little bit about that, that, uh, that time for you and uh, a little bit about that book. Um, well, the book was a collection of letters my mother had saved from my childhood. Every time I got in trouble, because we're Irish, I think she thought it was funny. Her and my dad would laugh about, you know, letters from teachers. And, you know, I used to get arrested for vandalism or whatever. And so they, she, I found this shoebox in the basement in the Bronx with all these letters in it. And, uh, and I said, this is a book. I think this is a book. And so I, I started writing it, and it became much more about my relationship with my dad because I realized that me getting into trouble had a lot to do with authority issues that I had that stemmed from my relationship with my dad. 
And so it got very deep. And it wasn't the book I planned on writing, but I'm glad I wrote it. And uh, it took a toll. It was it was a rough year. I would never do it again. <laughs> well, I'll definitely let people know that it's obviously available on Amazon. You did an audio book. You have a stand-up show, I think, this weekend um, out in California for folks that are out there. And tell me a little bit about, you know, what are you writing about? Are you doing COVID? I saw that you did a little COVID material. I saw a clip on your Twitter page. Um, yeah. I, I mean, is the set kind of going to be the same for a while here that you've kind of come up with? Or do you, are you always working on it? Yeah, it's a lot of new stuff because it, the world just changed. And it's very weird to go up on stage and talk about, yeah, I was just in this restaurant last week. And people were like, no, you weren't. And so you have to talk about what it was like to be in a pandemic. And I, it's exciting for me. I love going on stage at a time. Like if there's a big news story, it's always great to, to go on stage and talk about it. And this is the news story of maybe the century, you know, and we're in the middle of it. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of the stuff I'm doing up there is about it. People want to hear it. They really react to it. And so, you know, the first half of the show is just about the pandemic. And then the other half is some other new stuff I'm working on. And then, you know, close it out with a couple old bits. It, this sucked though, right? It was a terrible year ever. I mean, I never thought that the, you know, a worldwide pandemic would really bring out all of this nastiness of people. I'm not wearing a mask. It's the craziest right. thing I think I've ever... I mean, I have family members I don't think I'll ever talk to again. And not. It's just yeah. a weird... Just after a little illness. Everything's political now, you know? And it's all irrational. It's all emotions. It's all narratives. You know, people don't believe facts. They believe the story that they, ha that they are living or that they believe they're living. And um, it's amazing to see some of the things that have happened in the last couple of years and people's outright rejection of facts and science. Um, it really, it, it's very hard having kids and seeing them going into a world like that. Yeah, that, that, that is definitely a, a good way of putting it. I'm going to go ahead and, and end here. I appreciate your time, but it's gregfitzsimmons.com, Fitzdog Radio, Sunday Papers is a podcast. You're out doing comedy work. Anything you want to mention or did I miss anything? And do we, do we have fun here on this St. Louis podcast? Yes, another, another reason to come to St. Louis. Uh, great city. Uh, no, I had fun. I think you, I think you nailed it all. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the well-researched interview. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. You'll get the uh, 50 bucks I told you I'd give you here. All and right. uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll see you again. We'll do this again if you're coming through town, and we'll see what's going on in the life of Greg Fitzsimmons. But I appreciate your time, sir. All right. Take care. 